Hello and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are here to reveal God in ways that help everyday people like you. Whether you're a Christian or not, we believe God is not far from any one of us and that he wants to be found. You don't have to look a certain way or have it together to become one of us. We don't have it all together either, but we do have hope in the one who does. Jesus loved everyone, no matter who they were or what they had done, and we want to be just like that. If you'd like to connect with us, stay after the message, and I'll tell you how. As you all know, tomorrow is Memorial Day, and Memorial Day is a day that we set aside as a nation to remember those who fought for our freedom and lost their lives. And it's good for us to remember. It's good for us to remember those who've gone before us and who made that ultimate sacrifice. And uh, we will do that tomorrow. It's also good for us to remember that we too are engaged in a battle, a very real battle against a very real enemy. And that's what we'll be doing today. We are taking a break today from our series in the book of Joshua to talk about monsters. And I didn't do this on purpose, but I realized the kids are in here today. <laughs> I mean, I don't... Kids, do you believe in monsters? No? Then why do you, why do you talk about them? Why do you think about them? Uh, it's sort of fitting, actually, that we're talking about monsters today for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that Stranger Things Season 4 was released on Friday, which was on my calendar. And Stranger Things is a, uh, is a Netflix uh, series that talks about monsters and what, what, what might they look like if they did exist. It explores this realm, this dimension. I'm not looking at you in particular. It just explores this dimension, this other dimension called the Upside Down, where darkness and decay and death are very near to all of us. That's what Stranger Things kind of explores. And we as a, as a people and a culture are fascinated by that idea. We just are. That's why Stranger Things is like this global phenomenon. But Stranger Things, this last week, had to add a warning to the front of their, the first episode of season four because of something else that happened this last week in Texas, in a small town in Texas at an elementary school. And because that happened, they understand, the people at Netflix and the producers of Stranger Things understand that the people who watch that show will see it differently now. They'll think about it differently because of what happened this last week in Texas. And because of what happened this last week in Texas, uh, we now, we call people, you know, there was a young man who, who, who did something horrible. And when people like that do things like that, we label them monsters. We label people like that monsters because it's easier to label them a monster than a human. Because what human being could do something like that? That's what we wonder. And we also wonder, why would God allow someone to do something like that? Uh, but today we're going to, rather than explore that question, we're going to ask a different question. It's a very simple question. Why did it happen? Why, why can something like that happen in our world? 
And just so you know, the Bible speaks to that question in many different places. And today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 10. And we're going to talk about monsters, the real enemies. And, and we have to wonder, who are our real enemies in this world? And Ephesians chapter 6 tells us who they are. Beginning in verse 10, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the churches in Ephesus, and he says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Let's let's pause and ask God for help this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us, that you speak to us, that your word is alive and active in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds today to understand the deep things of God, that you would encourage us and make us strong in our hearts, that you would replace our fear with courage God, that you would move today and that we would leave here with a fuller understanding of who you are and what you've done for us. And we pray all of these things in the name of your mighty son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 6 contains Paul's final word. He says, this is, the, this is my last word to you. This is the final word. And what he's saying is what I'm about to say is very important. Don't miss this. Our main problem and our main fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the forces we can see. This doesn't mean we don't have enemies we can see. That's not what he's saying. Paul knew all too well that the church had real enemies you could see and hear and feel. Real men who were hostile. I mean, Paul wrote this letter from prison. Because men who were hostile to Jesus and hostile to the gospel... And enemies of the cross of Christ arrested Paul, beat him, some almost killed him, and then threw him in jail. So he can't be saying we don't have any flesh and blood enemies. But what he is saying is that our fight goes way beyond flesh and blood enemies. When evil shows up in our world, whether it's in the form of war or violence or mass shootings or human trafficking or racism or oppression or injustice and poverty, we, we call all of those things evil, and rightly so. But there's more to those evils than we can see. And until you reckon with the fact that there are supernatural forces and spiritual powers and authorities that work in our world, you will only see a human problem that is skin deep. As a society, we in the West have determined that, that everything has a scientific explanation. And all we need to do is more research until we can figure it out. And if everything can be explained by science, whether it's social science or political science or natural science, then we can solve every problem that exists. So take, take racism and greed and violence and poverty and all of that. We, all that can be explained by natural causes and therefore all we need to do to solve those problems is better educate ourselves. But our education system is broken and our social systems are broken and our political systems are broken. So if we could just fix those systems, we'll be okay. We'll be on the right track. And we can eradicate 
evil from our society. It, because if all, all we need to do is, is unite around the right systems and ideologies, then we'll figure all this out. And we can bring order out of the chaos. But the Bible starts with these words, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God brought order out of the chaos. So the Bible starts with God bringing order out of chaos, and it ends with God bringing order out of chaos. And everything in the middle is about God bringing order out of chaos. So the Bible starts and ends with God. And maybe we should too. So when something as horrible as a school shooting happens, we are, we are beside ourselves, and we should be. We, we become angry and sad. We have, we're overcome with grief, and that is good. It's, it's right. Because just so you know, Jesus reacted to evil the same way. In John chapter 11, is a famous story about Jesus raising one of his closest friends, Lazarus, from the dead. And he arrived at the town of Bethany, and he is to, this family he was intimately close with, this was like his home away from home, he arrives and Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, are overcome with grief. And when Jesus, sees, when Jesus finds Mary weeping, he weeps. Even though he knows he's going to undo the death of Lazarus, he knows what's coming and he still weeps. And the Bible says he was overcome with deep anger, like it welled up within him. He was like, Jesus was raging at death. He hates it. He, Jesus was angry and sad at death, just, just like we are. He knows our weaknesses. He feels the same. But many people move right past grief and anger, and they instead are just express frustration. And they're frustrated with those systems that don't seem to be working. And they'll blame the education system, and they'll blame our broken social systems or the mental health crisis or the partisan political systems that can't seem to legislate our way out of this problem. And don't get me wrong, we do have education problems, and we do have social problems, and we do have political problems. We do have a mental health crisis, and we can't ignore that. But the Bible never starts there. The Bible always starts with a much bigger problem. The Bible says we have a supernatural problem with evil. But where did this evil come from? According to the Bible, the source of evil is two created races that God made, angels and humans. We are told that some of the angels, about a third of all the angels, rebelled against God and were cast out of God's presence. And these fallen angels are called demons, and they have a leader, and he is called the devil or Satan. And these are real, personal, and powerful beings. They are the monsters. They have authority and power and are bent on destruction. And of course, there's another race of beings and that's us. And of course, humans are the ones who let evil into our world. And from the beginning chapters of our story, in Genesis chapter 3, we learn about how that happened. In Genesis chapter 3, the human beings that God had made decided in their hearts to listen to the voice of the serpent, the ultimate monster. 
And they decided they did not need God to be happy. They decided God was holding out on them and they chose to believe a monster instead of God. And we are now, all of us, contaminated in our core with evil thoughts, by evil thoughts, evil intentions, and evil desires, and we act on those desires, and the world is a dangerous place because one evil angel persuaded human beings to question God's word and reject God's authority in their lives. And now we are all born into that. We are all born with this sinful nature that without learning how to do it, we by nature, question God's word. We question God's intention. We question God's intentions. We question whether God loves us and has our best in mind. And we, by our very nature, want to usurp God. We we want to replace God in, as the ultimate authority in our own lives. And uh, the one, this one fallen angel who appears in Genesis three as the serpent, he is named in Ephesians chapter three. As the devil, he's named in other places as Satan, in other places the murderer, the father of lies, you name it. He has a bunch of different names. He, he is really never the main subject of any one large passage, but he is the subject of many asides in Scripture. He, he is many times an afterthought in the, in the Bible. I'd like to give you a few examples. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus had sent out the disciples and he sent them out on this uh, missions trip, basically, to, to preach the good news of the kingdom and to heal people of diseases and to cast out demons and to basically do what Jesus had been doing. He sent them out in, in small groups, and they came back, and they told Jesus, Jesus, it was amazing. We saw, all, we saw God do powerful things, and we cast out demons and all this stuff. And it's as if, as they're talking, Jesus has a tr- is triggered. Something in his memory is triggered. And he responds with this. He says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That's something Jesus saw at one time. In 2 Peter 2 verse 4, we're told that Satan was cast out. He was a beautiful, powerful angel, and he was cast out from heaven. And now is the ruler of this world. In Isaiah chapter 14, we read again about Satan, and he actually is quoted by, as saying something, and this is what the, the passage reads. Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, this is Satan, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. That's what drives Satan. And by the way, that's what he wants to drive us. Isn't that what he said to Adam and Eve? Here's how you can be like God. God doesn't want you to be like him. That's why he said don't do this. In 2 Corinthians 2, we're told that the devil has schemes and he is able to outsmart us. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the Apostle Paul wrote this about him. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Think about this. People who, who refuse to believe that Jesus 
is the Son of God who came to set us free from the power of sin and death, the reason they don't believe, according to that passage, is because Satan has blinded their minds. It's a, there's, a, there's a supernatural reason that people can't believe. And there's also a supernatural reason that you do believe. No human being in their own strength can break that power. Only God can. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul wrote this, You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, James, and the writer of Hebrews all talk about him. He's not just a concept or a symbol. He is very real. He has an army of spiritual forces behind him. And Paul doesn't simply call them demons. Paul could have just said, hey, watch out for the demons. He says they are evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, mighty powers in this dark world, and evil spirits in the heavenly places. He's making the point that there are ma- they are many and they are powerful and they can't be seen. A couple hundred years ago, nobody believed that germs existed. Did you know that? Until a biochemist named Louis Pasteur discovered that there are invisible agents all around us causing damage and disease and destruction. People didn't believe in germs because they couldn't see them. But now we're obsessed with germs. We've never been more obsessed with germs than over the past two years. And you get sick, you know, you get sick and you know why. Before you didn't, now you do. You know that it was some destructive germs that you didn't see, that you ate or you touched and then, you know, you picked your nose. I'm just talking to the kids now. You just picked your nose or whatever and then, you know, or itched your eye and now you're sick. Why? Because of, because of unseen forces. But we don't believe in monsters. So to anyone who lives or, or, or who believes that we live in a closed natural system where the only things that are real are things that we can see and test, and all this talk of spiritual rulers and powers makes you uneasy because there's no proof of any of it, I just want to challenge you. Is it possible you're a little closed-minded? Just because you can't see or hear something, does that mean it doesn't exist? Did you know that most of the world, Asia, Africa, Latin America, readily accept the notion of unseen spiritual rulers and authorities? And they believe that, they're not all Christians, but they all, most of them believe that there is a spiritual realm that is constantly overlapping with our physical natural realm. And that view that spiritual forces are at work in our world which we can't see, helps those people in those parts of the world make sense of reality. It it helps them make sense of the world around them. Now, I have to issue a warning here because it is possible to make everything spiritual. In fact, I was going by our, we have a lending library right out in the front (laughs) Uh, when you walk into the doors and you turn right and then turn right again, there's a couple books, uh, bookshelves with books 
that are um, donated by our people, and there's some great books on those shelves. And one of them is C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. This is a a classic. It's a a fictional work, um, and it's a series of letters written from an agent of spiritual darkness, a high-ranking evil spiritual authority to a lower-ranking officer who's out in the world influencing people, tempting them, accusing them, all of that. And he unpacks in here like their, their, their strategies. It's a fascinating read. And in the, in the preface of the book, he says this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, humans, can fall about or can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. We've already talked about that. The other is to believe and to feel excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So you can do both of those things, and the enemy loves it if you do both of, either one of those. It doesn't matter. Both are, are, are dangerous. It, it is dangerous to overestimate the evil powers in the unseen world. Don't give them more credit than they deserve. Bless you. Christians, by the way, are notorious for this. Christians are notorious for making everything, everything bad that happens is because of some unseen evil force in my life. But is it, like, you might, you know, someone might say to you, I was attacked by Satan today. How do you know? My head was pounding all day. Well, maybe you just had a migraine. You know? Not everything is a spiritual attack. I've heard people say many times, Satan is attacking my family right now. First of all, he's probably not, because Satan is one being, And of all the 7 billion people in the world, I highly doubt he's focused on you. The second thing is, there there might be some evil force at work to cause chaos in your family, but you might also just need some therapy. It's, It's true. Some of us need therapy. It's not all spiritual all the time. You can overestimate the power of our spiritual enemies, but a worse mistake is to underestimate them. And to pretend they're not real and that they don't have any power to destroy your life. And I would like to just go back for a minute to this creature called the devil or Satan. His name in Ephesians 6.11 means liar and slanderer. And that's what he does. He lies, he slanders. He's a created being. He is beautiful and powerful and he lies and accuses. That's what the enemy does over and over he, he lies, he, he works through two main things, temptation and accusation. Now, I want to say this, what the devil can't do is he can't recreate you. He can't evict the Holy Spirit from your heart. He can't change your status with God. He can't separate you from Christ. He can't undo what God has done for you, and he can't stop God from finishing what God started in you. But what he can do is lie and accuse you and question your true identity. In temptation, the enemy, the enemy will cause you to adopt a view of yourself that is too high. The, the enemy will overinflate your self-image. And you're going to talk to yourself like this. You're going to think, I'm a good person. I, I, I'm generous. And God accepts me because I've been faithful and obedient. That's a lie. 
Some of you think, I'm, I'm not greedy, I'm thrifty. Or I'm not nosy, I'm just concerned. Or I'm just, you know, I'm so generous and I serve so much. God won't mind if I give myself a little forbidden pleasure just this once. And if that's you, just be careful. Because the devil's normal mode of attack is not a firestorm of bombs that just destroys your life. That's not how he operates. The enemy operates by stealth. The enemy is a deceiver. He is the deceiver. Jesus called Satan the father of lies. He invented lies. He's the best at it. His agents will slowly, meticulously, and mercilessly persuade you that you don't need God. They don't want you to be so devastated that you realize your only hope is to cry out to God. That would be a failure for them. They want to bring you to a place. This is what they want for you. They want to bring you to a place of self-confidence and self-reliance. If they can do that, they've won. Because they don't want you to see how desperate your need for God really is. Now, if that doesn't work, they'll go the other direction and they'll try to completely destroy your self-image by accusing you, by getting you to look more intently on your sin than your Savior, by causing you to obsess over your sins and your past and thinking just how much you've ruined your life and the lives of others. And that all of your troubles in life must be a punishment from God. That works pretty well too. When you believe the enemy's accusations, you'll say things like, God can't forgive me. God can't accept me because I haven't been able to stop sinning. God doesn't like me. God wants me to fail. God can't rescue me. God can't use me. God won't bless me. So temptation, here's here's what happens. Temptation has accomplished its work when we say, I don't need God. And accusation has accomplished its work when we say, God doesn't want me. So if you ever find yourself talking to yourself that way or feeling that way, it's probably from the enemy. Every single day we face these things. We face temptation. We face accusations. The enemy feeds on our desires. They feed on our insecurities. They feed on our pride. And they feed on our depression. They feed on those thoughts of worthlessness and self-loathing. So how can we fight? How do we get this power and strength that's able to withstand the monsters in the unseen world. We're going to read the rest of this passage now in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in 13. This is what Paul wrote. Okay, he's saying, therefore, because because these monsters exist, he says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news or gospel, that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. 
Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So what do we need to stand ground? What do we need to be strong? We need truth. We need righteousness. We need peace. We need faith. We need God's word. We need prayer. All of those things are important. And without getting into every piece of God's armor and what they represent, the main focus of this passage is God who sent Jesus to fight our enemies and, he, and Jesus won. That's the good news. Jesus fought our adversaries and Jesus won. That's the good news, the gospel. How does the gospel prepare us for battle? How does the gospel protect us from an overinflated view of ourselves and a completely worthless, worthless view of ourselves? Well, the gospel shows us, it says that Jesus Christ was sent from God and we were so wicked that Jesus Christ had to die for our sins in order to make us right with God and that because we're dead in our sins, we need to be raised to new life. So Jesus rose from the dead to give us the promise of eternal life with God. That's the good news. That's how we're saved. And so the gospel shows us that we're utterly weak and desperate sinners and we need grace and rescue. We can't fix ourselves. We need constant help. But it also shows that we are strong, fierce, spiritual warriors and we have the spirit of God living in us. We have this body armor. We have a shield of faith. We have a helmet of salvation. We have the sword of the word of God. We are fully equipped through the spirit of God to fight our enemies because God loves us and does not want us to fail. God wants us to stand firm. Just like the song we were singing, we have a firm foundation in Christ. We stand on Jesus when the rains come and the floods come and the, and the storm rages, we can stand. And here's the other thing. We do not need to fear our enemies. We do not need to fear them. Because listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 2. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. In other words, when people in the world tell you and, e and evil powers say, hey, don't, you don't need God to fix this. You don't need God to stand firm. What we need is a better system. We need better politics. We need more education, okay? Paul says that's nonsense, it doesn't come from Christ. He goes on to say this. You were dead because of your sins, and because of your, your sinful, sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Now listen to verse 16. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Jesus, by dying on the cross, disarmed our enemy. They're, they don't have teeth anymore. And then it's, here's, here's what he says next. So don't let anyone condemn you. Don't let anyone condemn you. 
Because there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus stripped the enemy. He shamed them publicly. But let me tell you, they can still hurt us. The enemy can't kill you. The enemy cannot destroy your soul. But the enemy can't hurt you. And we need to be ready. We need to fight through speaking the gospel. And who do we need to speak the gospel to in the name of Jesus? Mostly ourselves. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to remember every day what God has said and done through Jesus to make us his own. We need to remember that Jesus disarmed the spiritual enemies and authorities in this world. That Jesus defeated them through his death and resurrection. And that sin has no hold on us anymore. Death has no hold on us anymore. So I want you to leave here today not afraid but bold. We are confident in God. We have no need to fear evil rulers and powers because Jesus won. He's our strength. He resisted every temptation. Guess what? Satan himself tempted Jesus with everything he had. And Jesus did not falter, not once. He resisted every temptation. He wrestled every day with the powers of darkness. And we wrestle with those powers too. Ephesians 6 describes that. It's like a wrestling match. It's a, the word for wrestling, it, it, it describes this physical hand-to-hand combat. And every day, it's like you're, you're engaged in this exhausting, uh, sweaty wrestling match with some spiritual being. In fact, you too are a spiritual being. Both beings are spiritual, but only one is physical, and that's you. Both beings are worshipers, but only one of them worships God, you. Both beings are powerful, but only one is victorious, you. Both beings were created by God, but only one of them has God living in them, you. Both beings can call out for help, but only one of them is heard by God, you. So who has the upper hand? You do. You have the upper hand every day. Verse 18 in Ephesians 6 says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. We need to be praying in the Spirit every day for each other. That's how we win. In the summer of 1971, a very controversial a professor at Stanford University conducted something called the Stanford Prison Experiment, which has gone down in history as one of the worst ideas ever. In fact, I think there's a documentary that just came out in the last couple of years about this, this thing. This, this, uh, this was a, uh, Philip Zimbardo was a, a pr- professor at Stanford, and he was exploring uh, human emotion and behavior and patterns and things like that. So he decided to create a mock prison in the basement of Stanford University, and he offered volunteers, like, I don't know, it was like $15 a day, I just, you know, offered to people in the community, who would like to volunteer? I'll give you 15 bucks a day for this. It's a two-week experiment. You got to be on campus the whole time, and uh, you're going to be a prisoner or a prison guard, one of those two things. So he, he solicited uh, volunteers, and they were all evaluated psychologically, and he chose the most emotionally, psychologically stable people from this group of 
uh, volunteers, and you either were a prison guard or a prisoner. And the prisoners were only allowed to refer to themselves, not by name, but by number. They all received a number. And they were arrested by police officers, real police officers, in their homes and taken to a real police station, fingerprinted, handcuffed, blindfolded, and then they were taken to this mock prison. Over the next six days, they had to shut this thing down after six days. It was total chaos. Over the next six days, the prisoners experienced extreme depression, rage, anxiety, uncontrolled weeping. They cited riots. Four prisoners had to be pulled out early, and the whole thing was shut down after six days because of the brutal verbal and psychological abuse the inmates were experiencing by the volunteer prison guards. Because when people are treated like criminals, they will begin to think and act like criminals. And Zimbardo, the professor, as the people were leaving the campus, had to remind many of the volunteers that the experiment was not real and that they were actually free. And here's something Zimbardo told his volunteer prison guards before the experiment started. He said, you can create in the prisoners feelings of boredom, a sense of fear to some degree. You can create a notion that their life is totally controlled by us, by the system, you, me, and they'll have no privacy. We're going to take away their individuality in various ways. And in general, what all this leads to is a sense of powerlessness. That is, in this situation, we'll have all the power and they'll have none. And that's what happened. And what he was trying to simulate through an experiment is not far from a very spiritual reality. Because when you are lied to by spiritual enemies, you feel powerless. Don't you? You can actually believe the enemy has all the power and you have none. Those spiritual forces in our unseen world are like Prison guards that are constantly accusing you and harassing you and treating you like a number. They're doing everything they can to create an environment that makes you feel powerless and trapped. And they are constantly trying to convince you that you are a prisoner of sin. You're a prisoner of your circumstances, but you are not. God says you are not a prisoner, you're free through faith in Jesus. You are free because the blood of Jesus has set you free. You might act like a prisoner at times, but you can never enter that prison again. You've been released and transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You can't go back to that prison. And why would you want to? Jesus, Jesus did not come with a sword in his hands, and he left with nails in his hands. Okay, Jesus didn't come to crush sinful people. He loved them. He loved his enemies. He prayed for them and he forgave them and he publicly shamed his enemy, his true enemy. That's how Jesus won. He overcame good in the power of the Spirit. He overcame evil with good in the power of the Spirit. And our path to victory is the same. And do you know how Jesus prepared for battle? Do you know how Jesus armed himself? By going away to his quiet place and praying. He prayed. He fasted. He spent time with his father. He read the scriptures. And then he prayed some more. 
Jesus fought Satan's lies with the word of God. And then he overcame evil with good. He prayed in the spirit at all times. And he stayed alert at all times. And he loved at all times. And he preached the good news wherever he was. And we're called to do the same. All the same. Our path has already been worn. It's already been created for us. We walk in the way of Jesus. We walk in the power of the Spirit. We pray in the power of the Spirit. We arm ourselves with the Word of God every single day because we need it every single day. We need to remember the good news, the gospel, that Jesus Christ died and rose again to set us free, to break the chains of sin in our lives, to disarm those spiritual forces of darkness. So don't be afraid today, church. Be bold. Be strong. Be courageous because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that even though we live in this dark world that is, that is ruled by powers we can't see, mighty demonic forces, spiritual rulers and authorities, in the heavenly places. We know, God, that you are sovereign over all of it. You are sovereign, you are good, you are loving, and you have already disarmed all of those evil rulers through the death of Jesus Christ so that we can go to war every day, so that we can pray, so that we can know you, God, so that we can share this good news and take more territory for your kingdom, Lord. So we pray that we would leave here today with courage, God, that we would arm ourselves with, with faith and righteousness, with prayer, with peace, and with the power of your good word. And we pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much for being here on this holiday weekend, and I would like to offer you the benediction this morning from 1 Peter chapter 5. So please bow your heads and receive this word. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you and will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's message. I hope you were encouraged and I'd like to personally invite you to attend one of our services here at Cross Point. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at 11,000 West Oklahoma Avenue in the great city of West Dallas. Our people are warm and welcoming, and we're all learning what it means to follow Jesus together. You can learn more about us at crosspointwestdallas.com, where you'll find more episodes of our podcast, and you can watch services on our YouTube channel. We live stream every Sunday morning at 10. Until next time, I'm Pastor Dave, and I wish you a blessed day, and I hope to be able to meet you soon.